my preaching today, I'll be preaching from uh, Psalm 137 through 144, but I'm going to begin there in verse 137 and read to the end of the chapter, verse 176. This way, throughout the month, we'll have read the entirety of Psalm 119 and been able to meditate on these uh, glories of God's word, God's word. Please listen as I read, beginning in verse 137. Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. Your testimonies which you have commanded are righteous and very faithful. My zeal has consumed me because my enemies have forgotten your words. Your word is very pure, therefore your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. <coughs> Trouble and anguish have overtaken me, yet your commandments are my delight. The righteousness of your testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding, and I shall live. I cry out with my whole heart, hear me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. I cry out to you, save me and I will keep your testimonies. I rise before the dawning of the morning and cry for help. I hope in your word. My eyes are awake through the night watches that I may meditate on your word. Hear my voice according to your loving kindness. O Lord, revive me according to your justice. They draw near who follow after wickedness. They are far from your law. You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. Concerning your testimonies, I have known of old that you have founded them forever. Consider my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me according to your word. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great are your tender mercies, O Lord. Revive me according to your judgments. Many are my persecutors and my enemies, yet I do not turn from your testimonies. I see the treacherous and am disgusted because they do not keep your word. Consider how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. Princes persecute me without a cause, but my heart stands in awe of your word. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous judgments. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. stumble. Lord, I hope for your salvation, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and your testimonies, for all my ways are before you. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips shall utter praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue shall speak of your word, 
for all your commandments are righteousness. Let your hand become my help, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live, and I shall praise you, and let your judgments help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. There are moments in life when we are overcome by wonder and awe. Moments like the beauty of the sunsets that we have recently had here in Oklahoma. They make you stop and look and to think about the glory of God. Or maybe there are times when a phrase of music just takes your breath away. There are times when sitting with family and friends where the sweetness of that fellowship, you just want to extend and just to pause and let those feelings of fellowship and love continue. These are moments that deserve to be lingered over and to savor. Today, I invite you to linger over Psalm 119 and especially the expression of God's righteousness. These come through in verses 137 through 144 especially. The psalm reflects on the incomparable glories of God's word, and that's been what we've looked at throughout this whole month. The glory of God's word that is given to us in its written form would also lead us necessarily to the word incarnate, Jesus Christ. Because, as John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of, of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's in that light that I invite you then to linger over and to savor the righteousness of God that is declared in his word, both written and incarnate today. We'll begin with this fact, with the truth that is expressed right at the very beginning in verse 137, that God is righteous. Righteous are you, O Lord. And then verse 142, your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. One thing about the Psalms that we have enjoyed throughout this year is to notice some of the poetic devices that are used. And here I'll call your attention to the way repetition is used. Oftentimes it's used to, to invite you to do that, just what I'm inviting you today, to cause you to linger, to ponder what is being said. And you'll notice the repetition that happens throughout this, this stanza. In eight verses, the term righteous or righteousness repeats itself five times, and there are synonyms of of uprightness and truth and pure, these descriptions of God and of his word that makes us, uh, makes us stop and to think about what is the psalmist, what is David wanting us to savor, to taste, so to speak, and to linger over. And in this stanza, what he wants you to linger is on is that God is righteous. 
It invites us to, to think, well, just what is righteousness? And I found that as I was thinking about defining it, that uh, I tend to, to, uh, to begin in my definition of that to define it in a negative way. In other words, that righteousness is to be free from sin. But righteousness has something more to it. There's a positive aspect to righteousness that this word has in mind. There's an active side to it. To be righteous is not just to be free from something, but to do something. To do what is right and lawful and godly. To pursue a holy life. And in God's case, righteousness goes beyond just what he does. It says this is something that God is. That God is righteous. It's part of who he is. It's an attribute of God. He is fundamentally righteous. And that's something to, to linger over, to pause and meditate on the perfect righteousness of our God. That's something that, as we'll find later, is described by John in his first letter as God dwelling in perfect light. That's another very rich poetic term, isn't it, to describe that the, uh, the, the holiness and perfection of God in his righteousness. Psalm 119 invites you to meditate on that. And then it adds to that aspect of the nature of God to say here are the ways that he displays it. Out of that righteous nature then flows these righteous acts of God. There are three things in these stanzas that come out. Look at verse 137. God's judgments are righteous. Or some translate it, that he is righteous in his government of the world. That means that he rules all of the world by his most holy, wise, powerful providence. That rule is always righteous. Whatever he does in all of history is, is necessarily righteous because he is righteous. And then verse 138, his commands are righteous. And this is one that is uh, maybe a little hard to grasp because the rulers of this world are, are corrupt. Even those who are redeemed have sin still clinging to us. And we make laws that, uh, that are inevitably flavored by our own nature. We make laws that twist matters to our own advantage. But out of his own righteousness, God's commands to us are always righteous as well. Whatever his law is, whatever he commands, whatever he, he, requires us to obey is always right. And then in verses 142 and 144, we see that God's word is righteous. 
and he shows his righteousness through that word. Now we've been noticing through Psalm 119 that, that this psalm uses a variety of terms for God's word. We saw that, that command in verse 138 is, is, is God's word. Judgment is his word. Now listen to verses 142 and 144. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. The righteousness of your testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding, and I shall live. It's kind of taken in the whole of Psalm 119. There's a sense of of every aspect of the word of God is embraced by this, this aspect of the righteousness of God. So you can think of, of all of the revelation of the Bible, that in every page, in every word, in every revelation, that God is righteously and truly revealing himself to us. We can turn there and find out that we know who God is because he has truly revealed himself to us. We find out there what we are, like and what we need and God's word tells us truly of our sin and of our need of a savior and declares the coming of Jesus Christ you can read every every different genre of the bible and say it is righteous altogether that includes the histories it includes the prophetic promises it includes the the wisdom literature and the poetry it is all true and righteous Because God is righteous. His word is righteous. And it leads us to the righteousness of Christ himself. Because we have seen in Christ the glory of our God. And that light, I invite you to taste and see that the Lord is good. To let that truth be something that you linger over. It might even catch your breath today to meditate on the beauty of the righteousness of our God. There is no spot or blemish in his character. He is righteous in all of his attributes. Maybe the children have have memorized the catechism question, what is God? God is a Spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Well, you can apply righteousness to all of those characteristics. He is righteous in his wisdom. He knows all things, and he he responds to everything in ways that are righteous. He is righteous in his justice. When he operates according to his own righteous laws, and as he executes justice in this world, it is always right and true, and we can take take comfort in that. Every and any attribute of God you can take, you will find that he is righteous in them. And that's one place you can stop and meditate. Just go through those attributes of God and say he is righteous in his wisdom, is righteous in his power, and his holiness, and justice, and so on. Savor this truth that God 
is righteous. So how shall we respond to righteousness? We'll begin by responding in faith and repentance because here I need to begin with the fact that God is righteous and we are not. God is righteous and as 1 John says, he dwells in light. Light that is pure and in one sense unapproachable because of the purity of that light that shines from God's holy perfections. So when you think about God being righteous and and I am not, that righteousness of God can be terrifying, right? The righteousness of God can be terrifying to us who are not righteous. Think of how Isaiah responded when the Lord brought him into the presence and gave him a vision of that heavenly throne room. Isaiah saw the Lord exalted in that throne room and the glory of the Lord filling that that throne room and flowing out and the angels of God flying around God saying and worshiping him continually saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And what was Isaiah's response? He was terrified of this righteous God. He fell down before God to worship him. And he said, I am undone. I'm a dead man. Because my eyes have seen the holy God. But I am a man of unclean lips. And live among a people of unclean lips. He was expressing that understanding that God is righteous and I am not. But let me also remind you of the gospel so that you can respond to God's righteousness from the perspective of Christ. We ought to read Psalm 119 in its context of of David, but more importantly, we, we always need to read it in the context of Jesus. Because there is one overarching story of the scripture, right? There's one overarching message that is being told that the righteous God does judge sinners, but he has sent Jesus, the righteous one, to be our redeemer. And Psalm 119 calls attention to the righteousness of God so that it would convict us of sin and lead us to come to Jesus by faith. And then Psalm 119, as we've seen before, is very rich in the expressions of obedience that flow from faith in Jesus Christ. But for today, when thinking about the righteousness of God, remember that All our righteousness is compared to filthy rags. What do we have to offer the Lord but but obedience that is is marred by our, our own unfaithfulness, by motives that are mixed, by obedience that is frail and faltering? 
We know that there is no one who is righteous in and of themselves, that there's no one who seeks for God. And as Paul makes clear, no one can be justified by his or her own righteousness. And yet, and the, the glory of the gospel comes through, and yet we have an advocate with the Father. We have Jesus, the righteous one. I love the way that, that John talks about that, that righteous God who lives in unapproachable light and says, you too ought to live there. And that if you, if you say that you're following him, you must live in that light. And you can feel some of the tension that is building here, right? Because I don't. And the righteous light of God pierces my life and my, and, and my heart. And so John goes on to say that if you sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us all unrighteousness. And John knows where we live, right? Because if you say you don't sin, you're a liar. But God has given us a Redeemer, Jesus, the Righteous One. That's what Psalm 119 says. God, you are righteous. It could even be read in, in the way that the metrical psalm puts it. Jesus, you are the Righteous One. In John chapter 2, that could be read in the same way. Jesus is the Righteous One. There's an equating of who Jesus is with this righteous God. Another place to just pause and marvel at who Jesus is. And we have this advocate. We have Jesus. And I want you to hear just several other scriptures that confirm it. Other places where you can turn to meditate and to marvel, linger on Jesus, our righteous one. For instance, John 23, excuse me, Jeremiah 23, 6 calls Jesus the Lord our righteousness. And Hebrews 7 calls Jesus the King of righteousness. And this Lord has humbled himself to become our Savior so that by faith, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, that you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification, and redemption. You see, in Christ, we have that righteousness. Not our own righteousness, but an alien righteousness, as Philippians 2 says. An otherworldly righteousness, you might say, because it is the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to us. And then I love how Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 5. That God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. 
Jesus, who, who is right and holy, perfectly came and became sin for you, that you might be righteous in God's sight. If that doesn't warm your heart, then go back and think again of what Jesus has done for you. Christ came in the flesh to cleanse you from all unrighteousness so that in him you might become the righteousness of God. So the first response to God's righteousness must be faith and repentance. It must be. Because it's not our works of righteousness that save us, but his. Praise God for that. The second response to God's righteousness is uh, is zeal. Now that's a term that we uh, we don't use a whole lot today. So let's pause and think about what zeal is. Verse one, verses one thirty nine through one forty says, "My zeal has consumed me, because my enemies have forgotten your words. Your word is very pure." Therefore, my servant loves it. Now, that's a theme that the love of God's word we've seen before, and I refer you to my sermon from last week about that. Uh, there is a there, there's a heartfelt love and devotion to it. But zeal has uh, has a, a, a has an extra to it, right? It has a suggestion of, of fervency, uh, an idea of passion. That goes with it. In other words, you can't say these words with a yawn or a shrug of the shoulders. Oh, how I love your law. That's my study every day. No, God's righteousness inspires zeal and inspires a, a passion for God, for his son Jesus, for his word, for our own righteousness that comes through Christ and then is lived out by faith. There is a, a zeal for that, a fervency. Maybe uh, whenever you've been been camping, you've, uh, you've built a fire. And uh, maybe you've used little small twigs and dry grass that, to get that going. And it flames up really quickly. And you might say, oh, there is zeal. But then it's gone in like, like, Five seconds. Well, that's not zeal. Zeal is the com- it comes from fire that burns hot and steady because you nurture it, because you feed it, and you watch over it so that it is consistent. And that's what zeal has in mind. It has that sense of fervency. It also implies something of a single-mindedness. We often associate zeal or being zealous with being jealous. And there is a positive side to jealousy. That's not the negative type of jealousy that is shot through with sin, like our, our jealousy often is. Instead, it is the type of jealousy that has a single-minded, exclusive relationship in mind. In that light, we, we know that God is jealous. He is a jealous God. 
That's what the commandments tell us. God is a jealous God, and he zealously pursues his righteousness. He zealously seeks and saves that which is lost. There's a jealous nature to God. So this jealousy or this single-mindedness is not bad. It has a good sense to it. And David expressed it this way. God, your enemies forget your law, but your servant, and here he's speaking of himself and foreshadowing Jesus, your servant loves it. There's a sense in David that comes through that there's a laser focus that God has given to him by his relationship. That redeeming love of God has worked a single-mindedness in David and, and does in us too. That we have a single-minded focus on God our Redeemer and following after him. David elaborates on this. David had suffered much at the hands of his enemies. Verse 141 says that at times he was small and despised. Or 143 says that he has experienced trouble and anguish. And you can read about that. Think about what we've already learned of David in our first Samuel sermons. Anguish often overtook him. But in all of that, listen to what David is mostly concerned about. He's concerned about the contempt that his enemies had for God and for his word. It's as if he could understand what he was going through, and, and he does cry out for help and deliverance in the midst of that. But what's motivating it is the contempt of an unbelieving world of the living God, of the righteous God. That righteousness drew David in and draws us in so that we become deeply, intensely, single-mindedly focused on our relationship to him and his righteousness. And we can say, your servant loves your law. And we can speak of ourselves, but remember that David as a prophet is foreshadowing Jesus. And the servant here could be understood as Jesus' zeal for God's word. And I hope that that triggers something in your mind. Wasn't Jesus overcome by zeal as well? It is said of Jesus. The disciples said this of Jesus. They take up Psalm 119 and they say of Jesus that they remember that zeal consumed him. The circumstance was that Jesus, as he was inaugurating his public ministry, he went to the temple to worship God. And he found there that, that the courts of God's temples were crowded and filled with those who were changing money, who were selling animals for the sacrifices. It was filled with merchants. It was crowding out what the temple was about. And zeal for the righteousness of God, for his worship, for the access that the temple implied so that others could come and worship God. Zeal for that consumed Jesus Christ. And so he entered the temple and he turned over those tables of the money changers. And he made a whip and he drove them out. 
And as he did so, he said, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. He was zealous for the righteousness of his father. He was zealous for the opportunity that that worship implied for those who would come to to the courts of the Lord. And it is here that the disciples remembered, zeal for your house has eaten me up. God's righteous person and his word and his will consumed Christ. Psalm 119 directs us and our zeal to the same righteousness, the righteousness of God that is revealed in his Son and in his word. It's expressed in love and devotion to him and to his word. With that, I'd like to close with a a question of application. Does your life reflect the righteousness of God? Does it reveal the righteousness of God's word as you seek him in obedience? I want to meditate on two answers to that question. One is that I found today that some will answer, I love God, but, uh, uh, you know, his word is is not really part of my life. I'm interested, but uh, I'm not really not really wanting to to know it that well. Or some will say even this that uh, I know right God is righteous and and uh, and that his he's given commands, but we're under law, but not under we're not under law. We're under grace. And so I don't need to pay attention to God's word. But what I hope to help you to see from Psalm 119 is that, is that the righteousness of God makes answers like that seem unthinkable. Now, it is true that you cannot be justified by the law. And praise God, we are not under the law that way because no one may be justified by our own obedience. God requires perfect obedience, right? We are saved by faith. But Jesus, as he came, as he fulfilled the law and fulfilled all all righteousness, gave righteousness to us so that we may follow after him in righteousness. So if you say I'm under grace and it doesn't matter how I live, or if you say I really don't have any interest in his word, then you're mistaken, It's like saying, I'll sin more so that grace may abound more. And I hope you hear Paul's answer to that, God forbid. God is righteous. And and we love that. And we love his son who is righteousness for us. And we love his word that, that leads us in righteousness. And Our desire is that we would follow after him in righteousness as well. So let God's word imprint your heart with that righteousness and a love for God who is righteous. A second answer to that question, does your life reflect God's righteousness? And on a fundamental level, the answer to start with, must be, no, of course not. There is none righteous. 
No, not one. You need the righteousness of Christ imputed to you. And Psalm 119 reflects this as it cries out for that salvation that only God can give, for that righteousness that comes through Christ. Listen to the last words of Psalm 119. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live, and it shall praise you. Let your judgments help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Today, if the righteousness of God frightens you because you understand that you are not righteous, they cry out with Psalm 119 saying, I am a sheep who has gone astray. Save me, O Lord, from my own unrighteousness. But then, gloriously, by faith, you come to partake of that incomparable righteousness of God. Because in Christ, you are even now righteous in his sight. Right now, that glorious light of God's holy righteousness is counted as yours And the Lord sees you as righteous in his sight. Not your own righteousness. Remember, that alien righteousness of Christ which is imputed to you. And so I pray that you would linger and savor this meditation on God's righteousness. You might savor the, the righteousness of his word and of his son, Jesus Christ and to savor the fact that by grace you are righteous in his sight. To God alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we admit our unrighteousness to you and pray that you would cleanse us. Thank you that you have come to seek and to save the lost sheep that belong to you We cry out, O God, to you, acknowledging that you are the way of salvation, the only way and our way. God, nurture in us that that savor of Christ, that love and devotion and fervency and zeal for your righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We'll close with Psalm 119. Selection W. If you have not sung this selection before, it divides up into different voices. And uh, uh, listen and you'll, you'll catch on pretty quickly. Psalm 119W, let's stand to sing.